0: Welcome to On Air, a podcast discussion at the intersection of artificial intelligence and international relations, where we will discuss the development of IR theory, law, and practice in the age of AI. Welcome to the On Air podcast. I'm your host, Mithya Mema, as always excited about another opportunity to highlight fascinating and relevant research at the intersection of AI and international politics. Today's discussion, AI and the battlefield. Today's guest, Baptiste Adoue Cos, the founder of the Strand Simulations Group and a war game designer, he earned an MA in War Studies from King's College London, and of course that's not enough, so he earned another MA in International Security from Sciences Po in Paris. I first became aware of Baptiste uh, following his successful defense of the master's thesis entitled "How Can AI Provide New Insights to Modern Strategic Thought." His main research interest lay at the intersection of st- strategy, artificial intelligence and Wargaming. Baptiste, welcome to On Air. Thank you very much for the invitation, Medli. I'm really excited to have you here. I know when I first saw, I think we connected to LinkedIn, I saw your research, your advisor, one of my former uh, colleagues at George Washington, David Banks, so we'll give him a shout out here as well. And I saw your dissertation, I thought, this is interesting, and we need to have you on our podcast. So with that, let me first though, start from the top. I, I introduced you as the founder of the Strand Simulations Group and a wargame designer. Can
1: you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So Strand Simulations Group is a wargaming partnership that was developed at the end of uh, my academic year at King's College with some fellow wargamers that I actually met, met there. So what we do basically is we produce professional war games for mostly public sector entities, so governments, militaries, but also sometimes for private, for the private sector. So war games are mainly focused on conflict in general, so on war, but not only warfare. We have some war games about, for instance, climate change, the environment, etc. So yeah, that's what we do as of now, I hope for a long time. <laughs> so...
0: We have had other people here on the podcast talk about world gaming, and it seems to be a very niche. I mean, we think this podcast with a very niche audience, uh, international relations and artificial intelligence, we're, we're just really narrow in that sense. But there it seems to be a community built around world gaming. Where does that interest start with you? How do
1: you begin your trajectory Uh okay. the okay developments it starts a long time ago i guess we can state uh, that it started when i was four years old already because that's when i learned chess and um, chess became very quickly one of the big patients in my life i played competitively for a number of years i topped when i, I started my higher studies in academia uh, there's a price to pay you have to get you know, I mean, you can yeah, you cannot live your whole life in 64 squares, that's what. I, <laughs> so, um, but anyway, I, I really love chess and strategic games in general. And so um, first I started as a hobby wargamer, as opposed to as professional wargaming. As I, uh, I progressively got more and more interested in strategic studies, that's when I discovered that wargames can actually be used for real-life conflicts and mm. strategic problems as well, and not just abstract. Pieces on a chessboard fighting a language. Right. So that's how I got introduced to professional wargaming. Um,
0: yeah, it's quickly... Yeah. And, and what, what advice would you give to those who see this, they hear you, they're like, yeah, I like chess too. I like some of these games. How do you make the transition from the 64 squares to tabletop or even AI-enabled
1: wargames? All right, so the world of professional wargaming is a small world. We have to be honest with this. It's not that easy to actually get into the field because, okay, to begin with, there are not many formations in the world that give you a professional Wargamer certificate. There is King's College that I attended, and there is Georgetown University. But these are really the two most prominent places where you can learn that. However, you can attend a number of resources that are open source, or books. I will mention the books by uh, Philip Sabin and uh, Peter Perla, especially that wrote The Art of Wargaming for Hobbyists and Professionals, which is an excellent introduction to professional wargaming if you're interested. All right, that's great. We'll put
0: a link to that so that others maybe interested in this particular topic can also find that. Okay, let's turn our attention a little bit now to your dissertation, your master's thesis. should be fresh. Well, not quite, but it should be still fresh. And again, for our listeners, we'll put a link uh, to your Substack account so that others can subscribe uh, and also be able to read your regular musings on on the topic uh, beyond this particular uh, podcast. Uh, Again, you entitled your master's thesis, How Can AI Provide New Insights to Modern Strategic Thought? And then the subtitle is Using War Games as a Bridge Between Machines and Strategists. It's interesting to me, and we'll get to this later, that you consider these two separate the machines and the strategists, they're almost, I would say they're in opposition to one another, they're side by side, but some would argue that can you use a way to combine where you can, in a bionic way, I guess, a strategist can tap into the machine's cap- capabilities. But again, we can talk about that in a second. Let's try and unpack this terminology, AI, new insights to modern strategic thought. What is strategic thought? What is modern strategic
1: thought? And then maybe we can talk about AI. All right, so to begin with strategic thoughts, strategy is a word which is very, very much used, but it's hard to define, (laughs) quite a controversial word. I mean, nowadays, people tend to confound and use strategy interchangeably with policy or planning, for instance. I think it's not the same. Of course, you will find thousands of different definitions and sometimes very sensible definitions, depending on the angle the other wants to take. I will give you mine because it will help frame our discussion. But to me, strategy basically, it's all about gathering. It's the creative combination of your available physical means and ideas mm. in order to reach a specific goal, pipe opposing wheels on the mixed uncertainty. So really, there are three components to me to strategy. There is duality, like the fact that you have an opponent who wants something different than you and wants to prevent you from achieving your goal. Uh, there is a stochastic component, which means there is uncertainty. You cannot predict everything. You cannot just brute force your way right. to your goal. And then there is this heuristic component, which is all about finding the right combinations of ideas on means. So that would be my take on, on strategy. What about modern strategy? Well, as the modern world is becoming more and more complex, we'll be able to come back to this question later as we are talking about multi-domain operations. Well, it is more harder and harder to come up with sensible combinations, I find. So that's what I mean by modern strategy.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because for all the talk of modernity and we read a lot of discussions about, again, the war planning and wargaming and everything else, People still continue to quote Clausewitz, the German strategist, and the art of war. And some of them even go back to Sun Tzu and think about lessons learned about war and war making then. And again, we'll get to this a little bit later, perhaps, but it seems that this, the nature of war is always changing and still remaining this thing, that there are lessons to be learned from, I think, previous campaigns or other way of thinking about conflict. Now, what about AI? with strategic thought. So we can talk about a changing battlefield perhaps. I guess there's two questions to that. The first important one is, how does artificial intelligence provide new insights on strategic thought Yeah, and, and the way we have thought about preparing for war and strategize.
1: Yeah, so for a long time I thought that a, a lot of attention was given to the application of AI on the strategic landscape with autonomous weapons, UAVs, this thing, which is very interesting as well, but pretty different from applying AI to strategy because right, right. we're talking about trying to come up with a better combination of ideas or better yeah better strategies. So it's really all about the minds now, uh, not as much about the physical world. I think the real point where people started getting interested in how we could apply AI to Strategy was with mm. in 2017. Both in Go and chess. I will talk about chess because that's just what I know better. But I was a competitive chess player back then, and I very clearly remember the change that it provoked in high-level chess back in the days. Not because it was beating us. I mean, you can argue AI has been beating us since Gary Kasparov loss yeah. against against Deep Blue in 1997. But because it could teach us how to how to play better on how to think better in the game of chess. And that's what really, really changed. I just found it really impressive that a game that we played for million years, we played billion of game of chess over history. And this AI comes up and teaches ways of thinking about things that we just didn't think about or that we underestimated before. And all of a sudden, it changed how we play against other humans. It make us play better. and. But uh, even since then, I was wondering if you apply this to more concrete games, to war games, well, what do we get? Do help us think better as well or not? And that's what I wanted to, to research.
0: Yeah, I really enjoy that shift in thinking about AI, right? I mean, I remember the reaction. I think it was the Chinese champion with AlphaGo. There was the world champion of he AI. He said right? uh, Yeah. And I remember him just feeling after the defeat is like, my life has no meaning anymore. And everything just, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. I don't understand anymore what was going on. And he felt like quitting a game of Go and and just saying, okay, that's it, I'm done. But what you presented here is actually, I think, seeing AI not as a challenge, but rather as an opportunity. What can you teach us as humans so that we can play better, so we can improve, so that our strategies, I guess, in this particular case are actually better. And I like the change in frame in terms of thinking about, about AI in that way. What are some practical ways in which AI has been from what you study as well? And I, I know this is a nascent field, so there's perhaps not too much,
1: but what are some applications of AI in strategic thought? All right. I will focus exclusively on Wargaming because that's yeah. what I know. this so as you said, it's very nascent. It's important to remind that those three fields, AI, strategy, and wargaming, they're all pretty nascent all in the They are very inter- interdisciplinary, loosely defined. So combining all three together uh, is a bit of a, a special mix. Like, it's really the start. The state of the art is still in its infancy. Yeah. A lot of what has been done related to AI wargaming is classified, so very few open experiments. However, regarding abstract games like the Game of Diplomacy, which is not a war game, but which is close to a war game. For the people who listen to us, they can look it up, what the diplomacy is. It's a fascinating game don't play it with friends too often or otherwise you will lose your friendships. <laughs> uh, but, I, I'm uh, considering
0: uh, assigning it for a class exercise. Are you saying that that may create some animosity within the classroom?
1: Well, I, I was going to say it has been used a little bit in IR theory to talk about realism because right. this game is like a very <laughs> illustration of realism. Yeah. Like on, on So there was a team at Meta last year, at the end of last year, that works on uh, developing an AI to beat humans, or at least challenge uh, humans in uh, the game of diplomacy. Mm. And diplomacy is a very special game, it's not just a rigid game where you move pieces and see what happens. You have to talk with your competitors. You have to negotiate deals. You have to betray them sometimes. So you have to interact with them. And it's something we know that AI at least until recently with the rise of LLMs, uh, is not extremely good. Mm. And yet it, it did pretty well. It did pretty well and it's interesting to see that, for instance, this AI, which they named Cicero, almost never lie. Which is interesting in a game which is supposed to embody realist theory and be all about lying, mm-hmm. striking the back. It doesn't lie. And that's an interesting feature for instance, of what say I can teach good diplomacy player.
0: it's modeling positive behavior and being able to win, all right, by playing by being honest, I suppose, and just signaling maybe it's better at bluffing. And so if it's saying something the essential by humans is that it's lying, and so you you misread, I suppose. It's got a good poker face, I imagine, and I guess is what we would say with yeah. García. Yeah.
1: What I argue is that some people could be afraid on of- believe or you not know, if AI are able to do this mischief from betrayers without us noticing it we're doomed actually it's not that good I think it's real strength is just that it's really good tactical wise I and so the reason why it doesn't lie is because it wants to keep its options as open as possible and the best way to do it is just not to commit and betray someone unless you're absolutely certain that this person will be out of the game and you on um, a decisive advantage. So yeah, just an interesting way. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. It's already it's already teaching us another opportunity, making us better, perhaps as humans, and finding ways to still be forthright and honest while winning the game. <laughs> so that would be that's an interesting uh, insight. Let, let's turn our attention. About a year ago, you 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 published an article in the Military Strategy Magazine titled "Does Artificial Intelligence Change the Nature of War." So, so far we're talking about whether AI can change the nature of strategic planning and thinking. Now, let's turn our attention a little bit to how AI can impact the battlefield and warfare. And I was intrigued by your opening paragraphs, I'm going to, with your permission, read much of it and and I hope that that the listeners will be patient, but you start by quoting the American General Marshall who designated the battlefield as the epitome of war, where everything that characterizes the deep essence of war, as theorized by Clausewitz, comes into action. Violence, passions, oppositions of wills, frictions, whatever the war, this blunt reality is always reached at one point or another. This this makes war a human activity before everything else. How does the introduction of AI to the battlefield impact this traditional concept of warfare as the ultimate human activity?
1: So I think the nature of war will not change fundamentally, even with the introduction of AI and the battlefields. I think it's easy to argue that it has not changed with the introduction of drones and autonomous weapons. I think just another technological innovation that considerably affects the strategic landscape, but it does not affect the way we think. It does not affect the way we feel about things, about the dissent that is taking place within the act, the actors that are engaged in this con- in conflict, uh, I think the nature of war really is all about feelings on the earth. <laughs> yes, I think it's all about descent on this in the heads. On it's a lot about psychology. By the way, I think Kenneth Payne was labeling strategy as being basically all about psychology. Mm-hmm. I think is. It's quite right. Um, when you start losing your will, you you lose the war. So I think the introduction of AI on the battlefield has not changed that. Right? The introduction of AI in strategy, if it can help us think better, doesn't change this reality either, I would say, because the machine cannot comprehend what is decent, it cannot comprehend what is the will to fight. That's why it will always give solutions to things that are very often interesting, sometimes creative, but nonetheless limited. And so that's why the human and the machine has to work together. It has been labeled by a previous secretary, a US Secretary of Defense, Bob Walker, as Santo Centaur Warfighting. And I like this expression. I think it makes sense. I think that the AI can empower the human thinking process, can give him this sixth sense, kind of. Right. And once the human has better perspective on the strategic problem, it can also redirect the efforts of the AI. And you see it's a virtual cycle. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. that would be my view. It does not change the... Nature that, of it. that does, that does seem big... to...
0: I mean, maybe undermine is too strong of a, of a statement, but we were just mentioning earlier examples of how AI could improve our perception and perhaps even our behavior. And those improvements may be significant. Again, there's a difference between lying and being forthright and being honest when you are dealing in diplomatic exchanges. And so your statement that the battlefield basically remained the same regardless seems to not undermine that, but perhaps weaken that
1: particular claim. What do you think? Yes, it does weaken a little bit. I think a lot of the actual game that's Extracting value, added value from using AI in warfare is not about the technology itself, nor even about the way you inter- interact the analyst on the AI. It's rather about the doctrinal and organizational mm-hmm. uh, implications beca- behind it. What I mean is, where do you place AI, the, this war- center warfighting component, mm-hmm. into your organization for which use case? Should it be close to the decision-maker? Should it be very far away? To give a, maybe the a last example about chess, Magnus Carlsen has been dominating the, the field for over ten, over 10 years now. You'd be surprised to to hear that he almost never used the, the engine, the chess, the machine. He almost never checked it. He has a, a team of secondants who checks things for him. The team is tasked with finding interesting ideas, thanks to these AI's. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they present it to him, and he's the one at the end of the day who says, okay, I use it or I don't want to use it just because I feel like it could work or I, I don't feel. Yeah. I mean, I mean, some, some could argue that in chess,
0: especially when you're not playing speed chess time, you do have the luxury of just thinking and postponing a move perhaps and waiting out an opponent or whatever that may not necessarily be a luxury that uh commander may have on the battlefield. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of people do raise concerns and questions about the ability to really infuse, so to speak, human decision making and actions with AI decision making and actions. Because there are questions about, okay, so now I mean Magnus Carlson may have a team of specialists who are examining those moves and in, in their own time and, and looking at everything else. But in the battlefield, that's perhaps not a luxury that you have where you can query the AI. It's like, well, how do you come up with this decision? Let me review everything you just did. That seems to waste the opportunity that you may have and also the momentum you may have against the enemy. So that makes, again, the, the human elements of war seem to perhaps strengthen the claim that AI can make a huge difference because it can eliminate exactly that human element, the psychology and decision-making, even ethics, human conscience, which may alter completely the battlefield in the way we fight wars. I mean, I'm thinking Star Wars, Clone Wars, you imagine having two sets. The empire seems to be willing to just expose Clone Wars to all kinds of risks because the other day, you get more of it. Whereas And, and so decision making then changes as a result of the technology that you're using on the battlefield. Uh, so, let me ask the question very bluntly. Do you think that the increasing integration of AI and warfare will eventually, perhaps not now short-term, but long-term, render traditional forms of human conflict obsolete? Traditional form of human conflicts? What yes. do you mean? Yeah, oh, well, warfare and more traditional, I'm talking more on interstate conflict rather than an intrastate conflict. Fully aware that globally right now, most of the conflicts are an intrastate nature, where the application of AI could be more in the form of digital authoritarianism perhaps and surveillance. But in traditional warfare, state against state, or it could be a state against a non-state actor across borders, what do you think that AI may dramatically
1: alter that, that particular form of warfare?
0: I mean, I know your answer,
1: but I just want to have it on record. Yeah, yeah. Up to a certain limit. I mean, even before the state of war, Playing at a a war with AI, I can already tell you that maybe it's not such a good idea to go at war. I remember the the points made by, I think, Joseph Blaney. I I don't remember the first name, but Blaney, in his book, The Causes of War, or article, The Causes of War, where he says that if there was no miscalculation, basically war wouldn't happen because war is always the result of a miscalculation. But more, uh, more with with war games could potentially not eradicate war, but decrease the likelihood of a mega you know, snakes At least that's what I hope. Yeah, no, uh, that's, that's, that's that's my belief. But on no, end, no. regarding war itself, using in war itself depends how we master it. Because one thing I'm a bit concerned about, certain weapons exercise that. They can be quite predict- predictive. Like, once you understand how an AI works, you can predict what your opponent will do. So, that's what yeah. one with that I see. On, I think there are thousands thousand different points. Where
0: well, no, I, I mean, your answer reminds me of in your examples you were just discussing an interview that we had uh, with Daphne Richmond Barak at Hesley University in Israel. And she brought the example of the Iron Dome that Israel deploys uh, against Hamas rockets, which uses AI to calculate the likely trajectory and damage that those rockets would cause, and then select among the various rockets which one it needs to eliminate. And her argument was that it's likely that more accurate defense mechanisms actually are likely to deter possible attacks from others. I mean, the whole point of nuclear deterrence is based on that. But things like the Iron Dome, if replicated elsewhere, can actually deter other parties from taking actions against another state because those actions are not going to be effective. Let me end with a question about the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Um, I remember before the conflict started, we actually interviewed uh, a Russian specialist. And we talked a lot about Russia's abilities in the field of AI and its technological advances. Russia had done a lot to mess with the Ukrainians' heads. Especially after the Crimean War, you would send all kinds of messages, you would hack into their phones. And it was really troubling to see the capabilities that Russia had to do this by psychological warfare. And the anticipation that many of us had once the conflict started is that we would see a very different conflict. Are you surprised by the way that the conflict has manifested itself from an anticipated 21st century conflict to almost a 19th century trench warfare conflict? Have you, have you surprised by that or do you expect that because you didn't expect technology to change the game that much
1: No, I, I think I think most people to be honest were surprised um to see that I mean I remember doing war games about potential Ukraine invasion back uh, just before the war started and so. Even with war games, it was hard to say, it felt like Russia could overcome resistance very quickly in no a matter of weeks, but that's not what happened. And now we come back from this maneuver of warfare that has been repeatedly emphasized as being the way of conducting warfare in the 20th right. century, back to more of attrition warfare, where fortifications, actually. <laughs> right, come right, right. Very <laughs> old, old concepts, right? Yeah. Uh. No, I think we we saw very interesting things really regarding air defense on the use of drones, of course, or with right. um, a bunch of air defense strategy that is to be revised, to be rethought about, maybe with some war games. But really, yeah, I was a bit surprised. I, I'm not a specialist of the right. Russian right. army, but I, I was not expecting come back to this traditional of right. Yeah. Well, I mean,
0: perhaps that's the best answer we have to the questions we've been trying to address here is that perhaps plus ça change, the more things change, the more they remain the same. So that's my token French for today. Baptiste, well, listen, thank you. This has been really a pleasure to spend this time with you and to have this conversation. Thank you for joining us on air. Likewise.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, this has been great. And again, also thank you to our listeners. We invite all of you to join us again for the next episode for our discussion at the intersection of AI and international relations theory, law, and practice. Until then, stay human.